0: Good morning. Welcome back from break. I hope you all had a nice break and enjoyed a good time with family and friends and yummy food. Um, Who prefers pecan pie over pumpkin pie? Pecan pie? Okay, solid. Um, Pumpkin? Okay. Um, Who prefers like neither? Okay. Well, I hope that you got to eat whatever is your favorite, and I hope you got to eat lots of it over Thanksgiving. Um, It is such a good thing for us to pause and to reflect on all the things we have to be thankful for in the way that God is so good to us and kind to us. Um, I also know that coming back now is is kind of hard in some ways. Um, I am finding that. It's getting harder and harder for me to wake up on time because it stays dark a lot later. And I know for you all, coming back has this sort of mixed emotion, right? You're, you're back, you're happy to see people, there's Mistletoe Mingle coming up, um, Carter Christmas is coming up, right? All these fun things. But you also are very much aware of the stress of finals and final exams and final papers, um, right? Shut <laughs> up. It's kind of a strange time of year, actually, because Christmas decorations are out and the trees are up but there is still a nagging feeling of stress, right? And busyness, it's a busy time, but it's also a season where we sort of want more time for thoughtful reflection on what's going on. Christmas is a season of contrasting emotions, isn't it? It's joy, but maybe for some of us, a little bit of dread. Maybe there's eagerness to be with friends and family, but then there's also a keen sense of loneliness sometimes. Maybe we understand the deeper meaning of the season, but we can't actually really grasp it in a way that seems to make a difference in our everyday life. It's a season of really high expectations of jolliness, right, Um, but sometimes it leads to disappointment or disillusionment. I think that's why we have Advent. And the older I get, the more thankful I am for the practice and season of Advent. Um, Liturgy, right, liturgy in general helps us calm down, helps us refocus and meditate on what is true. That's the beauty of liturgy on Sunday mornings. It's the beauty of liturgy in general, but the liturgy of Advent, I think, is an especially sweet gift. Simple things like an Advent calendar or the lighting of the Advent candle at church on Sundays, or sometimes there are more um, specified devotional readings that come with this season. Those things have really helped me navigate the stress and busyness of December. It helps me cultivate a mindfulness towards not only remembering the birth of Christ, but to also anticipate and long for the return of Jesus. Because actually, historically in the church history, Advent is both of those things. It means literally arrival, but for, in church history, it's a, a remembering or a longing towards the birth of Jesus, but it's also a looking forward to the second arrival of Jesus with the second coming. It's actually pretty cool that we find ourselves sort of sandwiched in the middle of those two things historically. During Advent, we both remember the arrival of Jesus at his birth, but we also look forward to his return. We are remembering, but we are also very much Waiting. So, as we find ourselves in Advent, I just wanted to share some things I've been meditating on so far. It's only the 4th of December, but I've been meditating. So, feel free to read along with me. Um, I'm going to be spending time in John chapter 1. Let's read together. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now I'm jumping down to verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is a very familiar passage, especially during Advent. It's often read during Advent. But what we may forget is how this passage actually extends way beyond just the Christmas story. These verses are actually an introduction to the entire Gospel of John. It's kind of what makes John's Gospel different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. While this, um, so John takes the, enti- the rest of his Gospel to unpack the themes that he introduces here. While this patch- passage is definitely about the birth of Jesus, it's also about more than that. John's Gospel is replete with the idea of a new creation, right? a new era that started when Jesus came to earth. We see this in the way that John starts. Verse 1, in the beginning. This phrase would strike a chord with the original hearers, and it should strike a chord with us as we read too. It should prompt us to go back to Genesis, chapter 1, where the Trinitarian God appears on the scene and creates everything out of emptiness. It's reminding us that the story John is about to tell is not a story of one character in one place, and time. Rather, it's a continuation of the story that started in Genesis 1-1, the story of the mission of God in the world. And just as the pinnacle of creation, right, man and woman, man and woman, sorry, came forth through the words of God. Here, John is telling us that the climax of the whole story is God's Word made flesh, the Word. Throughout the biblical narrative, when God spoke, things happened. The creation of the heavens, healing and restoration, right? We know that while the grass withers and the flowers fade, God's word remains forever. So when John introduces Jesus as the word made flesh, he's essentially saying that if you want to know God and understand how he works and maybe even understand how he's been working all along, take a long, hard look at Jesus. And then John moves on to the language of light. And this is uh, where I will spend the rest of the Our time together this morning. Christmas time is a season full of lights. We have lights on our houses, lights on our trees, candles, fires in the fireplaces. Um, Christmas lights are actually my favorite part of the season. I absolutely love them. Um, Maybe not those houses that overdo it, right? But (laughs) soft gold Christmas lights or candles at a Christmas Eve service, for me, that's where it's at. And it makes sense. The days are shorter. The nights are longer and colder during winter, at least in the Northern Hemisphere, right? And I think it's exactly that contrast between the darkness outside and the lights on the tree that makes them so inviting and cozy. Imagine Christmas without lights. It would be so dark and so cold. I think it's fair to say that in a way, Advent could be considered a season of waiting for the light. If you consider the image of light throughout scripture, these are some things you'll notice. Light is always associated with goodness, darkness with evil. Light means blessing, darkness means curse. Light is the same as the presence and delight of God, darkness, God's wrath and judgment. Light comes with obedience, and darkness is a result of disobedience. And here are some of the different ways that light functions. Throughout scripture, we see that light comforts, light protects, and light guides. So first, light comforts. Think about it for a minute. When my kids are tucked into bed every night, they always make sure to remind me to leave the hallway light on for them. Maybe you guys do the same thing in your room. I don't know. Why? And it's it's probably because they're a little bit afraid of the dark, but I also think it's that they actually find comfort in light. It provides a sense of security and safety for them. Or think about driving up here on the mountain in the dark and in the fog, right? Especially on like Lula Lake Road. Um, There is kind of a sense of fear or loneliness that comes up until you see maybe a house light or even other car lights. It sort of brings a sense of relief that you are not alone up here. Light comforts. It brings hope of better things to come. We see this idea in Exodus during the ninth plague. Do you remember the ninth plague? It was the plague of darkness. And here we see darkness being used both to bring judgment and um, on Pharaoh for his hard heart and to show God's great power. It was a terrifying plague. The Bible says it was pitch black. It was so dark that the people could not even get out of their beds, lest they would hurt themselves and fall. And then in Exodus 10:23 we read that all the people of Israel had light where they lived. So Egypt was in utter darkness, but Israel had light, right? It was comforting, it brought hope. The Psalms are full of this idea, too. In Psalm 27, 1, we read, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Or Psalm 139, 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Light comforts. Second, light protects. A few weeks ago, Hannah Bloomfuss and I were talking about Arizona. I was shocked to learn that scorpions regularly run around inside homes, like inside. (laughs) And she was saying that everyone has a blacklight flashlight like near their bed so that if you have to get up in the middle of the night, you don't step on a scorpion because that's apparently a possibility. Um, And so you have to use your flashlight so you can see where the danger is, right? In, In Arizona, light could literally save your life or at least a trip to the hospital. Isaiah 42.16 talks about how God will turn the darkness of his people into light and the rough places into level ground. Light shows us the places where we might trip. It shows us where we might get hurt or encounter danger. Third, light guides. Again, think of the Exodus story. When God brought his people out of the land of slavery, he guided them. How? As a pillar of fire to give them light. Again, Psalm has this idea. Psalms 43.3 says, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. And Psalm 119.105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Okay, so light comforts, it protects, it guides. and the Old Testament, people of God experienced these things, comfort, protection, and guidance. But multiple times in the prophets, they are still described as a people without light as people who cannot see. Isaiah 9 describes them as a people walking in darkness, as those who dwell in a land of deep darkness. Yes, they got a glimpse of what was to come, kind of like those first rays of a sunrise on the horizon, but they didn't experience the full heat of midday sun. They were still a people waiting and watching for the light. Which brings us back to John chapter 1, verse 4. He writes, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Here's what John's saying. Yes, light might comfort, it might guide, and it might protect. But if and only if, that light is the life-giving light of Jesus. All of those passages I read, all of that Old Testament talk about light, is pointing forward to one person the one that John calls the life-holding light because Jesus is the only one that can do what light is really supposed to do, which is to make us see. He He alone enables us to truly see God, to see what life truly looks like, to see what it means to have our deepest longings satisfied. Because the reality is that we live in darkness, Our existence is one experienced in a broken and fallen world. Our hearts are deceitful and fallen, and there are places of deep, deep darkness there. We may think we see, we kind of walk around like we see, right? We We think we know what will truly satisfy us. We have a lot of artificial lights giving us the impression that we see. Our accomplishments, our relationships, our money, our successes. We think that those things will satisfy us and allow us to experience what we think life is actually about. Or you know those like those bug lights, right? That attract light and then, or attract bugs and then just kill them. We actually have those too. False lights that drive us deeper and deeper into darkness and closer and closer to death. Gossip, jealousy, sexual morality, addiction, deceit materialism, anger, greed, and pride. They may give the illusion of protecting us or making us immune to suffering. Maybe they even make us feel like we have power. They might claim to give direction and guidance. Perhaps our false lights seem to illuminate dark places, but like a candle in a vast cave, it never really pushes away darkness. We still walk in darkness. We still have scales on our eyes. We can't really see. So we need a light that comes in with such power and authority that the darkness does not stand a chance. We need a light that reaches farther and deeper into our darkness and shines a burning red-hot ray into our most precious idols in order to obliterate their power over us. We need a light that exposes our darkness and shows us our sin in such a way that we see things for how they really are. And Jesus does this. Jesus enables us to see God because he is the life, which is the light of men. Not only does Jesus enable us to see God, but he enables us to receive the light. And What does it mean to receive the light? John writes in chapter 1, verse 9, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Here, John is connecting three amazing things. Light, life, and adoption. Essentially, the life-giving light, Jesus, shows us the way back to God. The light of the world always leads to life. If we receive the light, Jesus, which means we believe in him, then our status changes. All of a sudden, not only do we see things for how they really are, but we now walk in the light. We become children of light, adopted members of God's family, and living as God's child is actually living. When we follow the light that leads to life, we actually become more human, more of who we were created to be. But John does mention a response to receive and believe. Receiving is such an uncomfortable verb, if you think about it, right? Because it actually means you don't have control. It's reflected in our gift giving tradition at Christmas. You have no control over what's given to you. You simply have a role in accepting and receiving it. And if you're in our family, you always say thank you, even if you don't like the gift. So the beauty here is that we can expect great things from the gift that God gives, because he is the giver of all good things. So we can receive the light by believing, but John mentions another response. It's what the world did when the light came, and it's what God's people did when the light arrived. They did not receive. And these were the ones watching and waiting for the light. Isaiah 9 talks about it this way. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. A great light, a powerful light, shone cutting through their darkness. How amazing. And yet, they did not receive, they did not believe, and they did not repent. What about us? Are we waiting for the light? Are we turning our face towards the true light? To the light that shines into all of our dark places, exposing us and healing us at the same time? Or are we like God's people mentioned in John? Are we content with our false lights, the ones that bring an artificial sense of sight, yet leave us stumbling around in the dark, lost and scared? I pray that we will be a community that receives Jesus through belief, confession, and repentance. I pray that we will not shield our face from the light of the world and hide in darkness. I pray That we will be a place marked by light and repentance that we will receive the light which brings forth life and lets us be called daughters and sons of god because then and only then can we experience the light that comforts guides and protects when god is our father when we receive the light of the world by believing we know that all of our sadness and all of the broken things of this world All of the darkness ultimately doesn't stand a chance against the word made flesh. As children of light, we have found where life is truly at. We know that nothing separates us from the love of God, that there is nothing that man can do to us that we follow the light that leads to life. And when we don't know where to walk or what to do, we can simply turn towards the light. Let it shine on us and bask in its warmth and goodness, and then follow where it leads because the light of the world always leads to life, the life which is the light of men. So as you sit in front of a Christmas tree drinking coffee, may those happy little Christmas lights remind you of Jesus, who is the light of men, the true light who shows us the way back to God, the light that shows us where to find life, how to truly live. And may those advent candles remind us that one day we will get to live this life together face to face with god how amazing that will be we will dwell in a city that has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of god is gives it light and the lamp is the lamb let's watch for the light this will you pray with me heavenly father thank you for jesus thank you for his birth for his death for his resurrection And thank you that he's coming back. We pray, Lord, that we will watch for the light, that we will follow the light where it leads, because it leads unto life. Lord, show us those places that are hidden in darkness. Pray that you'd bring about true repentance, that we would turn away from darkness and towards light. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.